Grace, mercy, and the peace of God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, be and abide with us all this day. Well, 2020 just keeps being so 2020, (laughs) doesn't it? It reminds us so vividly that we live in a broken world, because it seems like things are going okay, and then just one more problem, right? One more issue, one more way that the the bottom kind of drops out, the rug gets pulled out from under us once again. You feel that longing. We have a longing within us, a a longing for things to get back to normal is, is there, especially right now, under the purple tier and curfews now in California. I just learned this yesterday, that now apparently, except for essential things, between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m., we're all supposed to be at home. So, here we are. But there's a longing beyond that, not just to go back to normal, but a longing for, for life, a longing for truth, a longing for wholeness. We live for love and for joy and for peace. And we look forward to eternity when we will be truly alive. Truly alive in the way that God intended for us to be. Yet we wait in a world that's broken and failing and reminding us of that. And the heart of that brokenness is an intruder, an invader into God's good creation. Death came through a man. As we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today, and that's the great resurrection chapter. Later in the chapter, um, Paul talks about resurrection and the, and the physical nature of it and the glorified bodies with which we will live for eternity. But in this section that was read today, we remember, we recognize that death came through a man, that in Adam all die. Death is our present reality. We face death. It's, it's in our face now, right? Because we see the statistics and we, and we hear the news and we know that this virus stands as a stark reminder of the fragility of life. There are, there are people and we, that we absolutely do not want to get the virus. And maybe you have your own list, people that you think, if I was ever exposed, I couldn't go see. Maybe it's your parents, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a, a, an aunt or an uncle or some friend. Maybe, maybe it's people within your household because their, their health is challenged enough that this virus could be bad. All of us have been affected by death. When I was young, when I was growing up, I remember going to funerals. And for the most part, it was people that I either didn't know that well, we weren't that close to, or it was relatives that, you know, were not in my immediate family, not my grandparents. And so I remember that, and there was some sadness to it, but it, it didn't linger too long. It, it didn't last for very long when, when it was not someone that I knew well. Not someone I saw very often. 
I only had two grandparents when I was uh, a kid. I never met my dad's mom and dad. And my grandparents, you know, those were the only ones I knew, and we would see them from time to time, and they stayed pretty healthy through my childhood. So there was a time in my life when I was probably in my, I don't know, late teens, early 20s, that I hadn't been deeply impacted. I hadn't been really cut to the hearts by the reality of death. When I was age 25, I had a good friend. His name was Steve. We'd been roommates together in college for three of our four years. We were really good friends in high school. And he suffered an aneurysm at work, or at least they think it started at work. And that was it. I mean, it was a day. He went from very healthy to in the hospital, kept alive on machines within a very short time. And that cut, that hurt. Death hurts. It's painful. It's the enemy. Verse 26 tells us the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And in that hurt, we're mourning our loss. We're mourning that separation, that, that truncation of relationship that we enjoyed with people who, with whom we were close. It hurts. It stings. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Well, we have felt the sting. We have mourned our losses. Death has hurt us. And maybe if you're still young and you haven't had that experience, maybe the funerals you've gone to are like they were for me when it's people that you didn't know well or people that weren't that close. Maybe it doesn't feel that way yet, but it probably will. Because death hurts. But it isn't how God intended it to be. Death is the result of sin. The sin of Adam and of Eve at the fall brought, brought death into the world. When God created the earth, he made it good. It was even very good. And God put man and woman in the garden to tend it, to take care of it to nurture it, to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth. And there was one rule. <laughs> what? Don't eat of this particular tree. But Genesis chapter 3 covers the story of when the serpent came and tempted Eve and Adam, who was with her, and they ate of that fruit. Our sin was born on that day because we are born in a sinful condition and there is no escape. Not for us, not on our own, no way that we can overcome it, no way that we can pay the price for it, no that way that we can escape this nature that is within us. It's not an excuse to sin more because we can't help ourselves, right? We can't cast the blame, well, the devil made me do it or whatever, but we do know this, we're... We're weak. We're sinful creatures. We're sinful by nature, but we're also sinful by the choices that we make. So when Adam all die in this sinful condition that we inherit because death came through a man, but in Christ all will be made alive. That's verse 22 from 1 Corinthians 15, that in 
Christ, all will be made alive. Christ is the firstborn of many. But he will be raised, or sorry, he will, he has been raised as the firstborn of many. He overcame death and is now alive for eternity. This is the, the core of our hope that we have. That Christ who overcame death, who died in our place, who paid the penalty for our sin, who overcame death and was raised, that's our Easter hope, that that resurrection affects even us. But to overcome death, he, well, he had to die. And Christ died for us. He died like a criminal, though he'd done no wrong. He suffered death by crucifixion, one of the most gruesome ways and terrible ways that man has ever invented to put another to death. It was capital punishment under the Roman system. And it was designed in such a way to be a significant deterrent to crime. Because the crucified would often linger on the cross for a while, even days, that it would take for them to succumb to that that torture. He died. The perfect Son of God. The infinite in the finite facing death. The eternal subjecting himself to death, which really doesn't make sense, right? How can the everlasting come to an end? How can the eternal die? How can this work but only in Jesus? It only happens in and to Jesus. He died in our place. Now through his death and resurrection, we are saved. We are forgiven. We are saved from death, from sin, from the power of the devil. It was his blood that was shed for us to pay the price for our sin. So through his death, he defeated death. There are stories told of soldiers in the Philippines following World War II that hid out in the jungles, and the word didn't reach them that the war was over, right, that the papers were signed and the treaty and um, that, that the laying down of arms was underway. And for years, because the word had not reached the soldiers, this one particular one, and I think it was sometime in the early 1970s, maybe, that, that finally he came out from the jungle and was convinced that it was true. Leaflets had been dropped to let him know. They knew he was there. They weren't sure exactly where, but they knew he was out there. And and so he would find these leaflets and think they were propaganda. And he was there waiting for orders and waiting to participate again in the battle. Death is kind of holding out in that way. When Jesus left the tomb... On Easter, death was defeated. The war was over, but death keeps right on fighting, right on battling, right on 
attempting to overcome that reality. That reality will fully set in when Christ returns, and Christ will, Christ will return. Matthew 25, verse 31. It's the beginning of our gospel reading for today. And it said this, When the Son of Man comes in glory with all the angels, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. The King is coming. The King is coming back. Today is Christ the King Sunday on the church calendar. And we recognize the authority and the majesty and the glory of Jesus that will be fully manifest when he returns. He comes with glory. When we think of glory, we, maybe we think of, of the cheering crowd that, that uh, rises to its feet when the, when the race is being run and there's, there's glory for the winner. Or maybe we think of the pomp and circumstance of, of the president or a, a royalty arriving. And, and there's fanfare and all of that. Maybe we think of the glory of God and this brightness and kind of cloud-enveloped space. I think our imaginations fall far short of the glory that Jesus brings. That when he comes, in glory, that it would just be so overwhelming to all those who witness that. But he also comes to judge. The one who is the king, who sits on the throne, is there to judge, and he separates people one from another to the right and to the left, the sheep and the goats. This imagery in the gospel lesson starts to make it look like the sheep are sheep because of their actions, right? He separates the sheep to one side, the goats to the other, and he turns to the sheep and says, look, this is the things, these are the things you've done. You've, you've done all these things. You've checked all the boxes. That, that's what our minds can start to, to linger toward. Like, I got to go start checking boxes, right? I better feed people and clothe people and visit people and comfort people, and, and all those things that are mentioned. And, and to the goats, he says, well, you've not done those things. But the identity in Christ that they have through faith is what leads to these actions on behalf of the sheep. See, sheep do sheep things. Sheep follow the shepherd. Sheep listen to the voice of the shepherd. Sheep are led where they should go. The great shepherd psalm, Psalm 23, describes it like that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So Jesus as the good shepherd and the king and the judge, this is different ways that we can picture Jesus, different metaphors that are used to help us understand the nature of Jesus. He's the good shepherd, and he leads the sheep who do sheep things. The identity of the sheep is because of the shepherd. The identity of us as sheep is because we follow 
the shepherd, not because we do all the things that sheep do, we're, we're sheep through faith in him. So sheep do sheep things and goats do goat things. And goats don't become sheep and sheep don't become goats. In fact, the sheep didn't know they were acting like sheep. Right? If you were to ask a sheep if a sheep could talk, do you know you're a sheep? And the sheep would respond, bah. Sheep doesn't know. Sheep just does what sheep do. Right? It's, it's just this automatic response. It's instinct for sheep to do what sheep do. So when Christ returns, he separates the sheep from the goats. And all those who through faith in him are sheep are welcomed into eternity. There's a song that we've sung for years number of years at Vacation Bible School, I just want to be a sheep. I want to be a sheep. I want to live out an identity that I have in Jesus as a sheep following the shepherd. That means we can live for Jesus now. We're alive in Christ in eternity. When he comes and the dead are raised and he welcomes the sheep into his presence for eternity, then we are truly and completely alive in Christ for eternity. But we can already, today, live for him now. Live out your identity. People's values and beliefs are evident in how we live, right? Our values and beliefs are evident in how we live. It's just the nature of of life. You can tell... As you go, you know, around the community, you can tell what people think, what they believe, what their convictions are, what their values are, just by observation. And it's not that difficult. So live out your identity. Because we have values and beliefs because we are sheep. We've been given this identity and this purpose in Christ as believers in Jesus. We've been transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And here's what it looks like. We love one another. We love one another. This is the calling that Jesus repeats through the Gospels. Love one another. Love one another. He says it a number of times. Love one another. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Love one another. Lay down your life for one another, for the family of Christ, for fellow believers. When he gets to the part of the least of these, to the sheep when he says it, he says, to the least of these brothers of mine. It could be translated brothers and sisters. It's not specific to masculinity, but it's, These brothers, these people connected to me, this of my family, which is an interesting thing. These my disciples, in other words. These my friends, these my followers are the ones to whom you did these things. So among our neighbors, among our friends, our family, our coworkers, or people with whom we have relationship because of school or whatever it is, how can we love one another? 
We can follow Jesus and do what he did, in other words. Who did Jesus hang out with? Who did he eat dinner with? Who did he invite to follow him closely to learn from him? Jesus served the least within his community. And the people who were followers of Jesus were fishermen and tax collectors, and he hung out with with sinners. That's what the Pharisees often called them, the tax collectors and sinners. These are outcasts of society. He connected with widows, with orphans. He supported people in their lives, and he calls us to serve the least. The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Or as you did not do it to the goats. So serve all. That's really our calling, right? To serve all. Intentionally, but also naturally. As this identity in Christ is lived out. He has a short list. Clothe the naked, feed the hungry, welcome the stranger. What's your list look like? It might be harder right now. How many pandemic shuts, shutdowns and purple tears and curfews and whatever it is you're dealing with here or where you live might make it harder right now. And because we keep our distance from people and, and we don't share meals and we're not engaging in you know, coat drives and food drives, but we can still feed people, we can still clothe people. Second Harvest could use volunteers if you want to help feed the hungry. If you want to clothe the naked, there are people who probably need our clothing donations and people who will handle those. Can you welcome the stranger? Can you support someone? Can you offer encouragement? Can you give a cup of cold water to someone in need? We probably already know people who have needs. People around us, people in our circles who are feeling isolated, separated, depressed, lonely. And we can support them. We can encourage. We can reach out with love. Living out this identity that we have and living for Jesus, because we are alive in Christ, already now. Alive in him through faith in Jesus, and alive for eternity when he comes again. When the dead will be raised, when death will be no more, and there will be no more sorrow or sadness or tears or pain. Until then, let's live for Jesus as those who are alive in him. Amen.